It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Feel like this jolly music is uh, not suiting the mood here today. We're going to be discussing Fulham's second consecutive 90-plus minute defeat this time at the hands of the other team in Manchester, Manchester United, as Garnacho's 93rd minute goal meant that we got a second successive defeat in the game before the World Cup. A heartbreaking way for it to end. Fulham were valiant and looked good for a point, maybe even more uh, based on the balance of the game but we are licking our wounds and we've got a long time to lick them with no Fulham game now until Boxing Day with the World Cup rolling around. Here to dissect everything that happened yesterday is Drew Heatley. Hello. Jack Kelly. Hello. And Dom Betts. Hello, hello. Nice to see you Dom, it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while but it's good to be back on, you know, discussing a uh, 90th minute defeat. What a lovely time to return. Are you ready for the World Cup? I'm more than ready for the World Cup after the last two games of football. Our last two Fulham games I've had to watch. Bring, bring, bring on the World Cup and hopefully watching Mitrovic tear apart Brazil and Cameroon in the process. Um, when are you heading out to Qatar? I know uh, people will be uh, interested in your travel plans. Uh, I'm, I fly out next Saturday evening, so I've got a few days of work this week and then I'm off for a month. Lovely stuff. So you're literally there from... Uh, Saturday, the day before the tournament, and then are you there all the way until after the final? Yeah, I'm basically there 20th to 20th, pretty much. And then fly back on the 20th, and then at the darts on the 21st. <laughs> what a dream. I know you've been, uh, I, don't, I know you haven't eaten for about three months to save up for this trip. Yeah, I mean, you know, I probably won't, probably won't be able to afford to eat when I'm out there either. So <laughs> with all, all those 15 pound pints, you know, lovely. Yeah, I was about to say, uh, those, <laughs> you're going to have to ration yourself on the beers. To be fair, though, it's not like an England away trip where it's like a condensed three or four days. It's not like I'm going to go heavy for Denmark, Tunisia, is it? So, I mean, <laughs> never know, never know. Uh, anyway, let's do some three word reviews if we have to. If we have to discuss um, yesterday's game, Drew, what were the best, in inverted commas, ones that came in? Yeah, there were um, a lot of. Uh... The the playfulness of the three word reviews just uh, sort of made way for a few expletives and uh, just frustration. But I I've uh, tried to find some of the more pertinent ones. So we've got uh, Simon Bohr with double Manchester heartbreak, um, Ash Fisher Wolford with more backbone needed, which I'm sure we're going to come on to the uh, capitulation in the last few minutes, which seems to happen a few uh, a few times recently. Uh, Andy Brooker with Deja Vu United. Very funny, and uh, Londinium calling with my favourite of the of the day. Best we forget, which I think we can all agree with, apart from for the next forty five minutes or whatever it is. Yeah, we're going to discuss it now, and then we can put it <laughs> firmly to bed, put it back in the drawer that it belongs um, with the other Fulham heartbreaks from down the years. I mean, Jack, to have two successive ninetieth minute defeats, particularly as both of the points that we 
could have got would have been really valiant, would have been, uh, I think, deserved, really. Um, to have it happen effectively twice in a week like that um, is, is pretty hard to stomach. Yeah, uh, I think that yesterday would have been very, very well deserved. Um, I thought we played fantastically well uh, yet again, showing us, showing our quality this season, the opening 14, 15 games we've played. And I think with last week with Manchester City, it was almost a case we were just holding on despite us having a man advantage. But um, I thought in the, the, the latter stage of the game, we looked the more likely to go on and win the game. And it was the the actual shock of the winner that sort of took the the wind out of our sails. Honestly, it was um, it was quite extraordinary. Just did not see it coming, especially with three added minutes. Now, with three added minutes, it's almost quite easy to see a game out, and yet somehow we managed to capitulate and concede. It was extraordinary. I mean, Dom, do you think there's a pattern here? Do you think this is something that Fulham are doing wrong in the 90th minute, or is it just? a bit of a coincidence that it just seems to have happened twice in a week that a bit of a lapse in concentration in the 90th minute has, has, has occurred. It could have happened any other time in the game. It just, it just happens to be the same outcome has happened in such a short space of time. And it's natural for us to want to draw conclusions that there's a, a lack of concentration, maybe a lack of backbone, a lack of fitness, whatever. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily, I think actually the biggest issue yesterday, I was talking about it in the pub afterwards, is actually I think because we were so in control in that second half, we we, we were I don't think our players were necessarily in the mindset of, right, we need to see this out to get the point. I think because we were so dominant in that second half and, you know, United, apart from maybe that, a couple of McTominay headers towards the end, didn't really threaten us too, too much, I don't think, in that second half. So I think there was, because it was so... I guess, comfortable in that second half. And we were the ones attacking. We were the ones looking like we were going to go on to win the game. And I thought we were unlucky not to win the game, let alone lose it. Maybe they weren't in the, the mindset of, oh, we need to see this out. It's a bit, it was a bit different to the mindset of Man City last week. Um, a bit different to the mindset of when we've had away victories, such as, you know, the Nottingham Forest game and the Leeds United game. So I think may, maybe they're in the mindset that we're the team who, we look like the only team who's going to go on and win this game. And then they get, they get, we get, we get, we get caught lapsing in midfield, and Gonacho scores. But I don't. I know it's happened a few times. You know, it's happened this week, last week, which we'll talk about. It happened in the Arsenal away game as well. But there's been plenty of other games where we've we've took the lead and seen out games. That's been one of Silver's sort of best assets since he's come to the club. Is actually be able to see out victory. So it's annoying that it's happened the two games going into a sort of a six week long break. But I don't think it's necessarily anything to be wary of. I just, I just thought. I just thought they they weren't sort of looking at it as let's see out this game to get the point. They they were fully focused on trying to get the three points, which then ended up backfiring. And then Man United getting the winner in the last minute. I mean, it it just screamed of the Man United oh six oh seven home game all over again. Yeah, I know it felt so similar, didn't it? Even the goal coming from. I mean, it wasn't uh, quite. It wasn't quite. You know, Cristiano Ronaldo skinning about eight of our players, including Philip Cristobal, about twice. But it was uh, <laughs> no. the, the, the sucker punch in the last minute, and yeah, considering how well we played, especially in that second half as well, it was that was the hardest thing to take, really. Yeah, uh, and Drew, let's go back to the first half. Um, it was quite an odd forty-five minutes. Um, the highlights on match of the day made it seem like it was uh, a Man United. Um, kind of battering machine and they had tons and tons of chances, but actually Fulham had all the ball, all of the territory, but actually when you break it down, United were creating the much clearer opportunities. Um, and uh, one of them came about um, with Christian Eriksen sticking it in the back of the net. He probably should have made it too. Fulham kind of used a few of their lives in that first half and probably actually fortunate to come into it 
only 1-0 down considering the quality of the chances United made. Yeah, I had a big discussion uh, with my mate who's a Man United fan about the definition of a guilt-edged chance because he was Where saying... Was he in the know, Riverside stand? <laughs> the only person who can afford the Riverside stand. He was... He was talking about, you know, the, all these guilt-edged chances that United had in the first half. And, and I thought, um, I didn't think they were quite as clear-cut as he was making out. Seeing them again, yeah, perhaps. I mean, Ericsson, yeah, probably should have done better with his. But the, the, we, I didn't come away from the first half thinking, crikey, we're lucky just to be one down here. I thought we were quite competitive throughout the whole game. Now, granted, the second half, we were a lot better. But I don't know. Looking back, the chances did look better than they did in person. But I, I just remember thinking, well, I think we're, we're, doing, we're doing all right, to be honest. Um, but yeah, it's it's back to you know what is a guilt edge chance. I'm not sure uh, that that all they all were, but they were you know decent chances for for United. I mean, Jack, that first goal I felt like I was watching a bit deja vu to a couple of Premier League seasons gone by. The way that Tom Kearney got robbed, we saw that quite a few times uh, in the last Premier League seasons. Look, I think Tom Kearney had a good game yesterday, um, but sometimes he can get dispossessed in the middle of the park. Fulham were just so exposed. The fullbacks were both up. We were just in trouble from the moment that Kenny lost that ball and Polina um, uh, didn't get to uh, Fernandez first for once. The only time in the game where, where Polina didn't get there first. And um, yeah, we just got cards open really a little bit. As soon as that ball was lost, it was just, we were in all sorts of pain. Yeah. One of, one of Kenny's best uh, qualities is, is ball retention. And there was a couple of times in the first half before the first goal where he almost lost it and got away with it. But he is that he is very good at sort of turning away and, and playing a pass out. And yeah, he just got caught. Cool. And I think with TC, it's the first time I think he started a game this season in the Premier League. I think I'm correct there. Yeah. Um, so uh, starting, obviously, the game means that, you know, the opposition are more likely to press you quite more aggressively than later on in the game. So maybe he wasn't quite ready for that. Uh, or expecting that. And um, yeah, it was just frustrating because you don't want to see Tom Kearney, uh, one of our favourite players, lose the ball in the middle of the park and, and contribute towards conceding a goal, albeit he made up for it for assisting the goal that we equalised from. But um, a bit frustrating, but but one of those lessons we need to learn from, you know, you do lose the ball in the final third or just outside the final third in the Premier League, you're going to get punished, especially against teams like Manchester United. Bit of a weird goal, to be fair, the way in which it just went in the back post and um, Ericsson stuck it away. But um, yeah, one we can learn from and, and frustrating because uh, the game was pretty balanced in, in that period of time. It was actually, um, for me, um, although Polina, I think did have a near 10 out of 10 game. The only thing that maybe made it not a 10 out of 10 was um, his uh, decision-making in that moment. Not just the fact that he didn't get the ball before Bruno, but I also think that Ericsson's his man and but he goes running towards the ball and sadly um gets a bit caught out just because for the first time in the game he couldn't get there first I do think that probably he should have tracked Ericsson rather than uh, race towards the ball which then obviously left that space open for Ericsson at the far post but this is not a slander on Polinia's performance which we will come on to which was um outstanding uh, I mean Dom second half Fulham really really um came into it we had so many chances. I thought Vinicius uh, came close. Probably the only real good thing he did in the game was that little turn and spin uh, and shot uh, that he had that went for a corner. Ream, um, I thought that was in. I, I really thought that was in that header at the back post. Um, and eventually the pressure paid off. A lovely goal. Um, and Dan James against his former club. I think we were all watching Andreas Pereira in this match thinking like, oh, that's the uh, man against his old club battle. Kind of forgot that Dan James was... Uh, 
uh, facing his old club and probably enjoyed um well, I, I don't think he maybe would have proved United wrong um, by scoring that goal, but I'm sure he'd have enjoyed uh, putting one over his former employers who maybe didn't give him the chance that, that he'll think he uh, deserved there. Yeah, and I think it's probably the best I've seen Dan James play in a Fulham shirt so far when he came on yesterday. He's really affecting the game. Um, his, his, his pace, he was absolutely skinning Luke Shaw every single time down that far, far, far side. And, you know, it's, it's Luke Shaw who's caught, who's caught napping for, for his goal. And I think it was a, it was a, it was a great, it was a great change at the time. And it really did, I think, change the game and move it into our favour. I think that pace on the, not even on the carrot attack, just that pace is in behind was really catching United out really. And, you know, I mean, the one chance I think that I've, I would love to have gone in was Polini's over a kick. If, if, if that, had, if that, if that had gone a couple, a couple more inches to, to, um, to Hayes' right hand side, it probably would have gone in the back of net and probably been would been up there one of the goals of the season and definitely goal of the month contenders for November. But yeah, it, it, I think the second half we were a lot more in control. I think I don't think we were necessarily not in control in the first half. I just think every time the ball went over the top um, in the first half, I thought United were going to score. <laughs> it just seemed to be splitting our defence every single time. But um, yeah, second half a lot more controlled. Um, I don't think United really came into it until the last ten minutes really in that second half. I think for the first thirty five minutes of that half we were. To tip, we were the team in control, you know, you had, had Polina being an absolute Rolls-Royce a midfielder, you had, you know, Pereira and Kearney playing well. Um, and then, you know, I think Vinicius, see, there was, there was a couple of times where he held the ball up fairly well and played players in, but he, when, when you got, when you got a, such a focal number nine in that system, you, re, you need them to be putting away chances. And um, yeah, we haven't really seen that from Carlos Vinicius so far. I think he's great to bring on with maybe five minutes to go to hold the ball up, but he's not he's not necessarily the backup striker you want to Mitrić. You can come in and you know you know score goals and things like that. So, but I think yeah, that second half it was it was such a contrast to. I know it, we've conceded two late goals in two consecutive weeks, but I think the performance wise was such a contrast because last week felt like we were always holding on, whereas this week felt like we were the team who were going to go who were in the ascendancy and the team who were going to win the game. So. Yeah, I think that Dan James that sub that substitution really changed the second half. And as you said for the goal, it's we we win the ball. It's great play from 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 Robinson to get. I can't remember who he gets there just for his man, and then he gets the ball up to William. He does a brilliant layoff to Kearney. I think they, those two worked brilliantly, especially that whole left hand side really of Robinson, Kearney, and William worked really well um, in the second half. And obviously, great ball in, and Dan James beats beats Luke Shaw and, and smashes it past David De Gea. Um, but yeah, I, I think that second half performance really showed what Fulham were about. And I think United were, United, a lot of the United fans were really worried that they're actually going to go on to lose this game after considering how, how sort of quick we came out of the blocks. Yeah, uh, that left-hand side really did work wonders. Jack caused an awful um, lot of problems uh, in that first half. And uh, yeah, it was a really nice move. I think it was Fernandez for the goal who uh, tried to keep it in play, basically, didn't he? Made the classic mistake of sometimes you think you've done it doing a good thing, uh, keeping the ball from stopping it for a throw-in. And before you know it, you've actually um, given a massive chance for, for a goal, which is exactly what happened. Um, Jack, let's come on to... Jao Polinia because he was the star man. He was just everywhere. I'm really glad that Match of the Day did do a little highlights package of him. I thought maybe after the fact we lost, they might have just um, done all of the coverage about United. And a lot of it was, um, but they did show um, Polinia. Uh, Fulham have just put up a little highlights reel on the uh, on the official Twitter account now. It's about three minutes long, which says something for a CDM performance that it wasn't a goal or anything like that. To be nearly three minutes just shows what an incredible player he is. We knew this. I think yesterday was maybe the day that the outside world really saw what we've been going on about all season. It was incredible. 
Um, he was absolutely everywhere. Um, he was so dominant, so physical and um, really made a difference in our midfield. And I think what he'll be most pleased about Paulinho is the fact that now he's going to be knocking on that door and asking whether he can start that first game for Portugal in the World Cup. Um, because it was a truly sensational performance um, live on Sky against a, a big a top six team in Manchester United. Um, and all, of course, also scoring over a kick, like Tom said earlier. I mean, that would have honestly added the the cherry on top of what was a perfect performance, really. And uh, I was speaking to um, a friend about uh, just after the game, after the, after the game, and um, we were saying how you look at Rodri's position in Manchester City's midfield, and could he be someone who could maybe replace him one day or come into that team and, and play a similar sort of role? And the fact we tied him down to a five-year contract with an option of, of a sixth year as well means that we're going to get whatever happens is going to get a good, good price for him. But obviously, let's not think negatively of thinking, oh, what, like how much can we get from him? Let's think, how much can we reap from him in terms of performances and how much uh, we can get out of him and see how long he can stay at Fulham for? Because uh, there's a lot of discussion about, um, you know, is he, the, is he the best Fulham player we've ever seen since Moussa Dembele, the first? Um, I would have to agree. I think he's absolutely sensational. Drew, I mean, I am getting dangerously close to believing that Polini is going to stay here forever when I watch his interviews. He did that interview with um, Fulham TV afterwards and he's like, I love it here. He said that um, when the crowd chants his name, it's the petrol that keeps him going. I'm just like, stop it, stop it. Cause I'm, I'm so dangerously close to believing that you love Fulham and you're going to be here forever and you're never going to leave us and you're going to take us to champions league glory in two years. And I just have to remember that footballers say a lot of this shit and then they get a big offer from uh, a top team and then it, and then it all ends, but we've just got to enjoy him while we have him. But I really hope this isn't one season. I, I'd love to just, can we squeeze two out of him? That would be amazing. I think even the most optimistic Fulham fan would have to admit that two is the most we could probably hope to get out of Jalpalina. The man's 27 years old. He's in a fast approaching the absolute zenith of his career and he's putting in performances after performances and now he's doing it on Sky Telly against Man United, which, you know, is great for us. But actually, we lose it. we've we've lost the game. He's had a lovely shot window and he's about to do the same again in the World Cup. So I think... Uh, you know, people on Telegram group were speculating about how long we'd have him yesterday, and uh, and I love the optimism. Some people are like, you know, he's got a five year contract; he's staying. The only reason he's got a five year contract is because we want to make our coin back on him, uh, and we will. Um, I am a cynical man, and I think he'll be gone in the summer. Uh, I, I honestly do, um, and that's as long as he helps keep us up. I think he's done his job, and and I won't begrudge him a move elsewhere. Having said that, you know, he does, he, he's got all of the right uh, moves on the pitch and off the pitch of all of those quotes, like you were saying, you know, all he needs to do now is do a, do a Toastin style retro shirt Instagram post and he's, he's mine. He's already done the Colt Zero, so he's, he's, he's really right up there, isn't he? But I think sadly, uh, I think just cherish every moment because, uh, you know, like a shooting star or a Jalpalinia sliding tackle, he'll be gone before you know it. It is kind of heartbreaking, isn't it? Well, you never know. The only thing that gets me with Dom about Zhao is that he is 27. Like, we'd never heard of him. He's breaking into the Premier League now. I know he, like, um, made his name at sporting and stuff, but it is quite bizarre how much of a late bloomer he is because you, maybe if he was, like, 22, 23, I think there's absolutely no chance. But when you're at that age, I'm sure that there are going to be clubs 
knocking for him and stuff but like are people going to pay what we will want which is surely north of 60 70 million for maybe someone that's going to be 28 next year yeah and i think you know i think it really depends on sort of what we end up doing in the second half of the season or it's to be honest it's basically a second season there's two seasons within one <laughs> essentially but i think it's i think a lot of it depends on what we end up doing in in January transfer market, where we where we end up finishing in the league, because if you can see is that if you can see what the project is and where the progress is going, he might want to stick around and he guarantees starting the Premier League for a team who's competing in his, in his prime years. I think I can only I can he's only going to go if a Champions League team comes in with a good with a good offer that Fulham seem acceptable to accept. And what that is, I don't know. We were just we were actually discussing it in the pub yesterday, like what it, what is his transfer value now? You know, is it is it is it only fifty sixty because he hasn't got the English tax on him? Because you know. Let's let's. If you look at what De- the price that Declan Rice is linked to, where and the price that Cam Phillips went for, and what price that Jack Grealish went for, you know he hasn't got the English tax on him, but he's still so important. And if you look at t- stats wise, he's been one of the best holding midfielders in the league this season. So I think enjoying enjoy, enjoying while we can. I don't want to do the whole Rio Ferdinand meme about Oli Gona Solskjaer, but you know I think yeah, just as 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 Jack said, I think it's he's definitely the best midfielder we've had since Moose Dembele. He's, def- he's probably just the the first proper midfielder we've actually had since Moose Dembele. Some of the, especially in that sort of in the in the deeper line roles. So in, in, enjoy this season. Hopefully, it stays for at least one more. But then then as you said, it will be twenty nine years old. And so, so, so unless a Champions League team comes in, he could he could stay at Fulham for his promise if we keep progressing at the rate we are under Marco Silva. Yeah. Um, well, hopefully we don't have to cross that bridge uh, in the yeah. summer. But fascinating to see as well because, like, you know, I've I've asked Jack about this on the podcast. You know, the the feeling is that he won't start for Portugal. That uh, that Ruben Neves uh, will will start in uh, in the base of, of midfield. Um, as well as like players like William Carvalho. But if you're the Portugal manager, you've got to look at yesterday's performance and be thinking, we could do a bit of that. What team couldn't um, do with a bit of that after, after yesterday, but uh, we'll, we'll wait and see. Part of me also would, uh, wouldn't mind if uh, Polini are just mostly a sub for Portugal and keep him nice and fresh. Yeah, but other countries probably look at what James Madison's doing and wondering why he wouldn't start for England, but we know what Gareth Southgate's going to do. So it's probably the same thing over (laughs) in Portugal. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Um, let's just briefly dissect the winning goal for, from Alejandro Garnacho. It was a it was a sub that drew. It did kind of swing the game back in United's favour. The uh, the wave after wave of Fulham attack kind of stopped um, with about ten minutes to go, and it did coincide with him uh, coming on. McTominay missed uh, a pretty easy header in the end, although it did come into a quick. I think he thought Ream was going to get there, and it just kind of came off the top of his head. Um, but yeah, I mean, the t- defending is a little bit suspect. For me, again, it just proves that Bobby decker reed is not a natural right back. It is not his fault. I think if Kenny Tete's there, that doesn't happen because he just gets, he just manages to get inside Bobby decker reed And as soon as you saw that he was inside Bobby decker reed you realised that, uh, yeah, trouble was around the corner. Yeah, I think we when Kenny Tessa came back, I, I was talking to my brother and we said we've we've got away with the the Bobby Decker Reed experiment. We've uh, we've actually you could call it a success because you know we, we'd we'd come up through relatively unscathed. But obviously, you know this is a game that we didn't really expect to have to go back into it. So again, yeah, you know I don't think anyone should be hammering BDR for that. Um, I was saying in the in the final throws of the game, you know no, we weren't looking as Dom said earlier, we weren't really looking to to 
sort of game manage and get the draw. We were looking to to try and get three points. I think we felt quite confident in our ability to do that. Such was the majority of the second half. And, you know, the game was getting stretched and I knew that it was going to be one of us getting it. And uh, obviously, you know, with the quality and the skill and the experience that United have, it was it was ultimately them who got it. But I find it, I find it easier to take than say, you know, City a week ago because, uh, you know, to coin the phrase, that's football. You know, it's it, you, you lose a you lose a game like that where you know there was no real sort of controversy. It was just two teams get, going on the break at the end, trying to trying to get that winning goal, and we came off on the wrong side of it. It was frustrating, uh, but you know it's easier to take than say somebody buying a penalty and uh, and getting that shoved down your throat at the end. So uh, yeah, I don't blame but Bobby Deckard over Reed. I say I think that's probably his last uh, outing at right back now. Hopefully by the time the uh, the World Cup's over, um, and I think it's it should be a free pass for him really on that one. Yeah. Well, uh, a pretty uh, gutting way to uh, lose the game, but we have got some uh, questions on uh, various topics. Uh, So we're going to take a break and we'll get into those after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Drew Heatley, Don Betts and Jack Kelly. I just want to give a big thank you to everyone supporting Fulhamish uh, in the Fulhamish community. It's a way of supporting the content that we make, um, as well as getting the bonus of being in our Telegram chats. If you want to support the work that we do, uh, we'd hugely appreciate it. Uh, You can find out more details uh, by clicking the link in the description of this podcast or going to the Fulhamish website and clicking the support Fulhamish button. Uh, It enables us to keep all our content uh, absolutely free. Uh, And if you're not able to support us, then absolutely no problems. But if you are, it would be hugely appreciated. And it's probably at this point now I should mention that we are doing some World Cup content. So the plan for the pod is is that we are going to keep up the two pods a week, mostly uh, throughout the World Cup. So we're going to be doing uh, some some World Cup shows. Um, you know, we're going to focus it a lot on the Fulham players that are playing uh, in the tournament. Uh, so we'll be discussing that. But we're just going to have a bit of fun, really. Um, you know, we know that there's plenty of other places where you can get some World Cup content. But if you want some familiar voices chatting shite uh, about the World Cup, then we'll be here for you. Uh, we're going to be doing some watch-alongs on the Fulhamish YouTube. And we've got some uh, special Fulham content. Uh, we've got an episode of the whiteboard coming up with um, 
Ben Jarman and Dan Cook. And we have a, a special documentary on the times that George Best was at Fulham. Uh, and we've got some exclusive never heard before audio uh, with uh, the late, great George Best. Uh, so that's a documentary that's going to be dropping uh, during the World Cup as well. So uh, yeah, keep um, keep Fulhamish in your, in your podcast subscriptions. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of po- podcasts competing against us. But if you fancy a bit of uh, Fulham chatter um, to uh, break up uh, all of the never-ending World Cup content, uh, then we will be here for you. Let's get into some questions then uh, from Twitter today. Uh, And I think this is the moment that we need to come on to the substitution, which got everybody uh, up in arms, um, which was Josh Onoma coming on for Tom Kearney. Stuart Roberts says, rather than bring on Onoma, would you not agree better to bring on Tosin alongside Diop and Ream to help protect Bobby for the last 10 minutes? Does not stop us attacking, but protects another well-deserved point towards safety. Same could have been done versus City. Uh, there are other questions as well on Onoma. Cam Calderon uh, also said, should have we brought on Duffy instead of Onoma? Jack, I'll come to you now. My feeling with this is that there's a tad of revisionism. As we mentioned at the top of the podcast, we were looking to win the game. We weren't necessarily content with keeping a point. Now that we lost, we're all like, oh yeah, a point would have been great. But I honestly think we'd have come out of that game, had it finished 1-1, thinking, oh, we, could have, we could have gone on and won that. We could have done more and, and, and won the game. We could have got three points. But, you know, I, I think what's Josh Onema supposed to do with a couple of minutes go. It's not like he was actually throwing the kitchen sink at United either. I almost would have understood if it would have on had, had more minutes. I'm not really sure what he's supposed to do, but I feel like I'm, I'm starting to wonder if he's a bit of an unfortunate scapegoat in this. Um, uh, when we equalised, I, I said I would take a point this at this stage. I, th- I didn't think, I thought going into the break with 20 points would have been quite nice, given it's halfway to, to 40. Um, I didn't have an issue with the Onoma substitution. I had an issue with the performance he put in when he came on um, failed to track back when, um, or didn't track back well enough when United got the winner. And um, you could easily say put on a fifth defender to shore it up. Um, but yeah, the mentality probably was from Marco Silva. We, we, there's there's momentum here. We can go on and win this. We've been the better team for the last 10, 15 minutes. Um, and yeah, Josh is unfortunate because he's the one who's come on after a decent performance from TC and we've ended up conceding as a result of it. Um, and I don't think, I don't think Josh has really had a great season. If you put it into context, he was basically left out the 25 man squad. He got, he was on the verge of moving to, I think West Brom on deadline day. And that sort of broke down um, due to late paperwork. And then he was sort of like put back in because Chalaba got uh, the red card against Newcastle. So he was in and around the squad and he's come on and, and obviously, you know, in the final seconds, he was genuinely the 90th minute and we've gone and conceded a goal and he didn't really play his part very well within that goal that they scored. Um, so, yeah, it's just one of those unfortunate ones. Um, I think most Fulham fans would have been happy with a point uh, and we've ended up with zero and it's very, very disappointing. Yeah. Uh, enjoy this question here from Kenny Help You. said, how did you jump into the Thames last night? I went for a f- front flip. Um, 
through. Uh, I know you were talking after the game about uh, jumping into the Thames. Uh, what what uh, what style did you go for? Did you go for a, a front point with tuck? What did you go for? I did a I did a sort of a backwards swan dive because yeah, I can only I'm better on my back when I'm in the water. Uh, so that was me. I, I walked. I did, I did cross Putney Bridge on the way to the Golden Lion after the game. I was going to go see Jack after the game at. Uh, at the Jolly Gardeners, but I couldn't make it that far because I was just too, I was just too deflated. Not so, uh, so Jolly just... Gardeners. Hey, not so Jolly Gardeners. No, it was it exactly? I didn't feel jolly enough gardeners. for the Jolly Gardeners. <laughs> so, uh, could only make it so far. It, I, I, I could, as I said earlier, I can take it, but like it just, it took me a good five minutes to be able to even muster up to say anything to my dad on the walk back. Neither of us were talking; we were just completely silent. It's quite difficult to try and get yourself back up, isn't it? After that, mm. uh, Jace Watkins asks Dom, um, "How much does the five sub rule hurt versus top six side? Our bench just has no depth." Um, you you are starting to notice when they can bring on players like Garnacho into the game, and we can bring on players like Josh Onoma. Um, the quality difference is, is enormous. The, the depth on our bench is pretty um, thin, isn't it? It's, it's, it's quite staggering, really. And also we saw a, a debut uh, bench appearance for Sekularak, if I've uh, pronounced that correctly. Um, you know, we really are kind of, I don't want to use the term scraping the barrel because that sounds disrespectful to, to him and, and obviously the great work that he's done getting on the bench. But really, I mean, it is thin on the ground, isn't it, on, on, in the squad depth? So, so Silver mentioned in his post-match interview. He's, he's, he he said, if you look, if you look at my bench, I, after Dan James, I don't have another attacking option to bring on due to you know injuries and suspensions and things like that. So, yeah, I think I don't think it's necessarily an issue with the five sub rule. I, it's just an issue that we don't have much squad depth. I think, but I think there's a lot there's there's a lot of teams around us that don't have much squad depth. You know, we are punching above our weight, being in, at the moment being a newly promoted side, being in the top ten going into uh, the World Cup break, which about, with about a third of the season played. So. I, I, yes, I don't. I don't think it's anything to do with the five sub rule. Um, I think and a five sub rule is something here. It's, it's going to stay in football. It's not anything that's going to be going back to three subs anytime soon. If anything, it will probably end up going more. But I, I, yes, yes, bigger squads and bigger teams can bring on more players. But I, I don't think it's necessarily. I don't have an issue with the five sub rule. Now it's in play personally. I think our issue is we need to bring in a lot, um, especially in. in, in I know we've got a lot. Of, we have we've got attacking players. That we've got you know Solomon out. We've got Cabano out. Um, you know, if if Canetetti wasn't suspended, then Bobby Reed would be another attacking option for us. So I don't. I said I think it's more of a squad depth issue as opposed to anything to do with five subs. Yeah, um, quite a lot about transfers uh, here. First one from Day. I'll go to you on this one, Jack. It is quite obvious Silver does not want to use Mbabu, even when Garnacho was tearing Bobby Decker Dover Reed a new one. Should we be cutting our losses in January and bringing in another right back? I mean, to me, Jack, this seems inevitable. If you can't trust your backup right back and you've got someone as injury prone or... Uh, suspension prone uh, as Kenny Tete now you, you we have to be looking at another right back option it's just untenable that we can keep using our right winger uh, right back which not only is not great because he's not an actual right back but stops us having a nice right wing option where Bobby is best mm. yeah this is this is something that's been really frustrating because I think Mbabu as a transfer, as a saga, was quite a long one and it took a while to get over the line. There was a lot of haggling over 5 million or 6 million and um, we finally got him over the line before the season started. And I think he came on against Arsenal, was pretty rubbish. Um, came on against City the other day and again, pretty wasteful in the one chance he had at running at the, at the City defence. 
And Marcus Silva has always described leaving Mbappé out as a technical decision. Um, take, I don't know what you could sort of take from that, but um, I, th- I think now we're at a point now where we're getting, we have this break of the World Cup and there's a chance to actually sit down and talk about the squad and where it's at in terms of our January targets. And I think that Mbappé will probably, um, this is just a guess, I have no idea. I'm guessing he's going to be loaned out somewhere and we're going to get in a new right back. It just makes sense because you, you make the point, Sam, we can't keep playing Bobby D. Cordova, read at right back. Um, and I just, I really... <laughs> missed, Gary, missed Gary Weaver this year. <laughs> I really just want us to have two natural good options at right back as opposed to one that Mark Silver just doesn't want to... Um, doesn't want to play. Uh, this, this, and as well, this is it, it. Smacks of terrible business, and it's a uh, it's a hangover from. Uh, it's it. There's still some things to to be ironed out between the recruitment team and and Silver, who seems to have a bit more autonomy over who he brings in than previous managers, right? So this is definitely this is a Tony Khan signing. This is the the stats based. We've been looking at Kevin and Babu for a long time. Come on, Fulham type type transfer, and you know, ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, he's not he's not. A player that silver rates, and now that that doesn't mean that Kevin and Bowie's a bad player. You know that it just means that that you know Marco Silva does not want to play him. Now Marco Silva picks the team ultimately. So, but what we've done is we've signed a five million player, and we have driven his value to nothing in 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 three months. And he's he's not gone to the World Cup. He's going to go as 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 Jack said, either on loan or when he leaves, he's going to go for less than what we paid for him. So it's bad business, and it just ne- there needs to be more. Uh, communication between the recruitment team and Silver going forward if this is just to be avoided to be honest yeah I mean the whole not going to the World Cup thing is must be gutting you know he's had 22 caps for Switzerland in the last four years I think I mean he was kind of a staple in the squad really I I think it shows how far he has um, fallen really Um, we haven't discussed Carlos Vinicius in a huge amount of detail. We did on last week's podcast um, kind of go into it. Um, Craven the Hunter says, should the club go back in for Ben Brereton and Diaz in January? Might be a bit wishful thinking. Um, but Drew, I just wanted to get your thoughts on, on Vinicius' performances yesterday. I mean, I'm, I was really hoping that this might be the game where he got a full 90 against a team that wasn't Man City. He's had a bit of time to bed in now. Look, I'm trying not to judge him too quickly, as Peter alluded to on the Thursday club. He said we're all a bit quick to judge with Vinicius, and I do agree. But at what point do we need our striker, not necessarily to score a goal, but to do something? And yesterday, apart from a couple of okay touches, he had that shot against um, De Gea, which was deflected, could have gone in, but it wasn't really because it was a great shot. It was more just a deflection that very nearly bounced in he had that nice turning shot I'm just not really sure what he offers I'm not sure whether he's a a good second striker maybe he's someone that you want to bring on to kind of poach a goal if you one goal down maybe him and Mitrovic would link up to well together I just don't know what he's try- I don't know what he offers a striker scoring a goal would be good wouldn't it um I think uh I, George Rosser's player ratings. He he said it was completely his best performance in a Fulham shirt, and, and it and it was. Now look, you know the bar's low. We know that, um, but he's it's his third ninety minutes, 
uh, coming in to a new team. Uh, you know, he played on loan at Spurs, but, you know, ultimately uh, it's a new country almost. Uh, I, I don't know. I just feel like I want to give him uh, a bit more time. It's a, it's it's one of the toughest positions in um in uh, in the Premier League is to play su- to play sub striker to a uh, you know a talisman like Mitrovic because uh, you're never going to get that run that uh, that's that you're going to need as a striker to build your confidence up. So it is a tough ask, a tough situation, um, and I think cup. I don't think it's helped that we've had um, some some winger issues at the same time because one. Uh, I think that that goal contributions come from elsewhere, and at the moment we're kind of really looking at Vinicius because we're not really getting much at the moment elsewhere. So it's a, it's a it's a tough one for him, and I feel like I'm going to give him, you know, a dozen, uh, half a dozen games at least to uh, to sort of prove his worth. But it is one of those. I, I I'm the same with Josh Armour. Just to pop back to that, I think I don't really know what he does, and I know and I appreciate that some people are looking at Vinicius and thinking, what does he do? So I, I don't know. I think. George, again, in his piece, says he thinks he'll come good and I don't want to take a slice of that optimism pie because uh, ultimately, what's the other options? We've got Muniz coming back from Borough in January, maybe. But, you know, if that's the answer, then uh, we're, in, we're probably in a bit of trouble, aren't we? I just can't help thinking, Dom, that I'd rather have Stansfield up front. I think I think a lot of fun fans would rather have Muniz or Stansfield up front. But I think um, Vinicius had the same issue at Spurs, um, playing back up to Harry Kane. And when he came in, he scored a few goals in the FA Cup against Marine. But like, uh, like he's he had, he had the same issue at, um, at Spurs as I said. And I think you know he, at PSV he had, he had decent golden goal and assist record. But that's because he was one of the main, main starters on the pitch. He wasn't always playing backup. I think he's great. He's a great player to bring on in the last five minutes, sure, at a game. But I, he's not. He's not a player you want to be seen playing ninety minutes. I, I still haven't seen anything from him in regard to actually, like in attacking play. That, that that makes me believe that he can be a backup to Mitrovic. I think he's a great option for someone to hold as a hold up player to sort of see out a game and stuff like that. So like, if if he got brought on yesterday in the 85th minute for Mitrovic, then I think it would have been a decent substitution and we, and we might have actually got the point. But I think that yeah, as a player to play 90, I just don't think he's the answer. And I think you know I'd love I'd lo- I'd love to see us bring in Ben Brereton Diaz in in January. But I don't think it's going to happen. He's in a I know they got battered by Burnley, but that, you know Blackburn are in a promotion push and they're not good. So it'd be like us selling Mitrovic halfway through this, halfway through a Championship season in, in regard to comparison it's for Blackburn. So as much as I'd love to see the transfer, I, I don't see I don't see that happening. But I do think we need a different option up front. I mean I, I will say, and if Kelly Tete wasn't injured yesterday, I wasn't totally against the idea of having Bobby Reid up front. Like, um, just 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 because I think he offers more than um, Carlos Carlos Vinicius does, but yeah, I think as I said, I think we know what Carlos Vinicius is good at, and being a starting striker playing ninety minutes isn't one of those answers. No, no. Um, a couple more questions here. This is a bit more kind of now the uh, uh, all other business kind of questions Ayop. section. Yeah, Harry McIntyre says this is hardly top priority. But what was the pod's reaction to Rashford continually going down with head injuries in the first half? It's a rule that players can exploit to ensure an opposition attack stops. What if after three head injuries a player has to be subbed? Um, Jack, this is one of those that there is no right answer because as much as I like Harry's um, idea of what if after three head injuries a player has to be subbed, but the whole idea is that a head injury comes before anything else and you must stop the game. But it is so annoying when you see players cynically abusing what's yeah. there to protect their own welfare. Yeah. Um, you can get a knock in the back or the stomach or somewhere in and around the head 
and go down and hold your heads and the referee will be like, stop the play, call it, the medic's over. Actually, the second Bournemouth goal on Saturday against Everton, there was an Everton player in the penalty box down holding his head. And I was confused as to why the game wasn't stopped. And obviously the goal then subsequently counted and Bournemouth went on to win the game 3-0. Yeah, I saw I saw one of the these um, instances with Rashford. He went down holding his head. And I'd never actually saw the initial incident. I don't know whether he actually hurt his head or not, but I do sort of think it's some sort of dark arts that players can do now to sort of stop the momentum of an attack. And um, I don't really like to see it. And that's, but, but this is, this is the world we live in now. Players will do this sort of thing. Yeah. I I mean, I I was going to say, I was going from actually shouting at Rashford yesterday to I'll be cheering on in seven days. Yeah. Weird thing about about international football coming up, but I I understand where he's coming from, but it's as as Sammy said. There's there's no right or wrong answer because you can't just not stop play. Because if someone's actually got a serious head injury, mm. <laughs> then then you need the medics to go go tend to it. And it is it is if if it's something to be abused, players are going to abuse it. But then if our players did if our if we were just trying to see out a game and our players did the same, I don't think we'd be complaining too much. Mm. Oh, what a top bloke Rashford is feeding the kids, but then he fakes it on the pitch. It's pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> he's killed all the goodwill. Yeah, that's it. Because he's feigning head injuries. Um, this one from uh, Hinhart's beer. There was a lot of chat about this um, after the game. Um, he said, is it ever okay for a young lad sitting in the hammy end to fancy getting the shirt of an opposition player coming off the pitch? No. <laughs> if they're a genuine Fulham fan, I think you've got to let kids be kids, man. That's cause it's it, an opposition it, player. You need to bring up your kids better. If if it's if it's a United fan in the Hammersmith end, that's another set of stuff. But if it's a kid wanting an England, uh, sorry, it was Marshall, wasn't it? Who came off wanting a superstar shirt? Oh, I just gotta let kids be kids. No, nah, I go to Wembley for an international game and get it then. <laughs> <laughs> no, I kind of agree with you, Drew. But let's come on to the wider issue of there was tons of United fans. I mean, it's embarrassing when Garnacho scored that goal at the Putney end. And I was like, is that the away end? Is there more of, is the away end? No, actually, no. There's just so many United fans in that Mm. away end. It always, they always come out the woodwork when it's a winner like that. They can, they can contain themselves for that first half goal. But when it's a 93rd minute, they all get off their hands and start celebrating because they know they can make a swift exit it's just shit isn't it yeah well all they all they have to get but all thing all they have to do is they pay 50 pound for a membership at the start of the season whatever and then obviously membership memberships going to get first dibs on tickets when for home games when they come on sale it comes up before season tickets and then that and that's and that's like they pay 50 quid then they pay another you know 50 to 100 quid for a, for a match ticket and then that's that that's that's 200 quid for them but that's that, that means they're pretty much guaranteed to get a ticket to see their team at their probably local club, which is annoying for us. But I mean, I don't really know what more the club can do about it. I think there's so many more things the club can do. Yeah, but all you know, live in London, so you can't judge it by their dress or anything, can you? No, but you can make people come to matches. So you're you going to say you need to have bought two of the previous... The thing is, the thing, the thing, the thing is true, you say, oh, you need to have been to like, let's say two home games. But at the time, but when those tickets come on sale, we've probably only had three or four home games. But you can get people to commit to buying the tickets, even if they, I guess one other thing is they could do, I mean, it depends how badly you want to go to a United game. I guess if you really want to go to a United game, you could mm. buy a season ticket and there's not a lot that Fulham can do because you go to, but you, I guess you at least... You could buy Fulham, a season ticket, put it on the exchange for every game that sells out and just use it for United game. I mean, yeah. that's quite, that's quite a lot of effort to go to, to go to one football match and almost if you're going to go that Yeah, far, but if you, right? if you think about how much people are going to pay for a ticket on resale size. 
and how much they're going to pay for towels. It's probably not too dissimilar. Cost yeah, but you've got to send your season ticket. It's an effort. That's an effort. But that's the kind reward. of thing that Fulham need to do. Like, yeah, okay, you're always going to get some extreme people that are going to go to extreme lengths. But okay, if you're going to get a season ticket and do, do that and send your season ticket every week to someone and go on resale sites, then fair enough. I just think there is more than enough Fulham fans. It's so blatantly obvious. There's more than enough Fulham fans to fill the stadium for yeah, but whoever we're you, playing. But you've probably got United fans who are more willing to pay the cost of a match ticket than you've got and Fulham fans are well yeah but that goes back to what fulham um stand for right is that they are much much more happy jack to just kind of not really deal with the problem these united fans will pay big money they'll pay the hundred pounds they'll pay whatever they need to to get into the ground and then you end up with situations like yesterday which uh, or, or just ban anyone wearing a half and half scarf into the ground <laughs> <laughs> i mean someone literally got jack a, a united flag out in the upper tier of the riverside, riverside at yeah. the end of the game i mean that's how far that's how ridiculous this situation is it's going to antagonize people if you did that in the hammersmith end look, i'm not saying it's the um it's the cold it's not the cold blow lane at millwall but flipping you're like people are going to get wound up and there's going to be a fight one day and it's going to get serious because and i, don't, I just don't i don't think the club care they're asleep at the wheel for this stuff we we had this issue in 1819 um and it was really bad really unenjoyable as well i remember the liverpool game it was especially bad and manchester city as well um the back end of the season and obviously we then you know went, went down went back up we were in lockdown so we had no fans but um the top six games are tricky to attend as a spectator when you're a diehard fulham fan because things like this do annoy you um and I think you're right. I think the the path to 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 grab a ticket as a United fan for one of these games, for the game in one of the Fulham ends, is is far too easy, um, and it might cost a little over the odds that you pay for a regular match ticket. You go might go to more effort to to secure that seat, but end of the day, the flag in the Riverside, like you said, is just it's embarrassing, but it's also it just shouldn't happen. Um, and I, I, I don't see this sort of issue happening with any other club. The sanctions have to be stronger, don't they? As well, mm. you know, some, you've got somebody putting a United flag up in the Riverside. The stewards, the argument, they don't get paid enough, or whatever. Whoever's whoever's in charge of sorting uh, security out of the ground needs to uh, get that person, find out who they are, and and uh, make sure that's retrospective. Well, I was just going to say quickly, I, I haven't been in my seat since the Brentford game in August. And I went up to my seat um, yesterday and I had like two stewards like try and check my ticket. And I went up in the normal way I went up. Um, I do, I've done years and years. And they said, oh, you're in the wrong entrance. Like, I we don't believe that you should be here. You need to go to the next one. I ended up I ended up losing my bearings and not even knowing where I was going because of, because of all the different entrances and stuff. And I just think if this sort of effort goes into home fans who are just trying to get to their seats in the upper echelons of the Hammersmith end, what's being done about all the United fans that are in the Hammersmith end, the Riverside stand, the Johnny they're Haynes and the Putney They're too bothered trying to stop people, you know, wrongly standing in the stairwell, but they're more than happy to just let United fans who've gone to the game sit in the yeah, obviously seat they've bought. But um, I mean, it's just, I understand, you know, sure don't get paid much at all. And, you know, they're, 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 they're there to earn a paycheck. They're not there to be monitor every Fulham fan's wishes but I mean especially it happens it's, it's not like it's a new thing it's been happening ever since I've been going Fulham since the yeah. early, early 2000s when it comes to Man United you know it, it used to be when the, when when we, when we were Premier League you know 10, 10 years ago the Putney end would just be a massive 6,000 seat you're away end even the, the gear goal that goes in to make it 2-0 if you look at the bottom of the Hammersmith everyone's sitting down because they're all United fans 
It's really weird. I just think that this problem doesn't happen at other clubs. We have enough Fulham fans to fill the stadium for whatever. I mean, we've the games we sold out this year, we sold out Bournemouth. Um, you know, there's not tons of Bournemouth fans filling the seats. That's that's Fulham fans. There are enough of us going around. I just think it's the ticket office and the ticket strategy has been shit for years. It all links back to how like broken the loyalty point system is. It's rubbish and it ruins the experience. It completely ruins the experience. If you're going to these games and you, you can tell, can't you? You can half tell, you can see the bit of red popping out the back of their jumper or like the scarves and kids going around kids getting shirts off the opposition fan okay yeah if that's a genuine just young um, Fulham fan or whatever then I don't really I'm not losing sleep over um, what kid gets a shirt and stuff but if that's just because there's United fans in the in the home home end and just Fulham just don't care just oh well yeah doesn't nothing's going to kick off at Fulham and then it'll all be too late one day but anyway I've 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 said my piece on uh, that one Uh, finally SW6IW Drew imagine you'll want to get into this one says what time do you leave to get a pint at the at half time in the Hammersmith end after getting out at 40 minutes yesterday both Hell's pumps weren't working below H6 staff were clueless seems to happen every time never have a problem getting drinks at a ways why can't they get it right isn't it? Isn't that? It's a great point. Like I've I've never had trouble getting a beer at an away game, but the Hammersmith end, I give up. I genuinely give up at half time now. And it's like you made the point you made about these new uh, autonomous machines that dispense the pints. Like it's worse now than it's ever been. Uh, I don't I don't bloody know the answer, but the, the fact that the fact is, it is probably the worst ground when it comes to uh, beer and toilets, which is sad. The queue for the toilets yesterday were extraordinary. I've never seen anything like it. Went all the way back to the end of the Hammersmith end. Someone's going to pee on someone else's leg soon, and then you know, then we're going to be in trouble. <laughs> someone's not going to be able to hold it in, and it might be me. <laughs> Christ, I knew you were getting on, but uh, I <laughs> remind me not to go to football with you anytime soon. I might come back with a wet leg. Right. Um, That'll do for the question section today. Um, but uh, before we finish, um, let's just answer uh, Garth Aubrey's uh, question. And that is, uh, he says, which player will impress most in the World Cup? Uh, so we now know which Fulham players are going to be going. Uh, it's going to be uh, Dan James and Harry Wilson for Wales. Uh, Tim Ream and Anthony Robinson for the US. Jao Polina for Portugal. Uh, and Alexander Mitrovic for Serbia. Not a Fulham player anymore but uh, great to see Dennis Adoy is going to be representing the Black Stars uh, Ghana uh, in the uh, in the World Cup which is uh, nice to see um, but yeah let's go around the table and uh, which Fulham players out of any of them do you think are going to impress the most uh, Jack I'll start with you I don't, I don't think you can look beyond Jalpalinia given his performance yesterday and it's just whether he gets that start over like you say Carvalho or, or Neves um, and whether he's be, he'll be able to flourish in that midfield if not then obviously, well, obviously, you two can have your say as well. But obviously, Mitrovic as well is is there. Drew, I think I have a sad and foreboding feeling that Mitrovic is going to have a difficult month ahead. I don't think he's. I think he's got injured at the wrong time, and I don't think it's going to be a good World Cup for him or for us when he gets back because there's going to be a period of rehabilitation. I think needed. So that is a shame. Um, I, I hope he proves me wrong. Um, I think anything that if if Wales have another, uh, if they get the country behind them and they do well, I think I think Harry Wilson is going to be at the best at the heart of everything good that they do. So I'm going to go with him. <laughs> yeah, hopefully not. But I think that, that if they do, I think uh, he's he's worked his way back up, and you know, in a, in, a, in a contrasting way to Mitro, has worked his way back to fitness at the right time. Um, and I think that he could could do well. 
I think it'll be Polina. I agree with Jack. Oh, well, mainly because Portugal's all my dark horses for the tournament. I looked, I looked at the, I looked at sort of where they were and sort of the favourites, and they were quite low down. Like they were low, they were like fifth or sixth. I was like, they're, they're not, they're not that bad. Like, um, I mean, I think because I think France are high up. I think they'll implode because they won the one tournament last time, which means they'll be rubbish. And also, it's France, and they're they're they're, they're due an implosion at some point. No, I, th- I really think it'll be Jao Polina. Um, it's really sort of not. It's necessarily sad, but it is unfortunate for Mitrovic. Obviously, he's fighting to be fit, and it's an, it's quite sad for him that the opening the game against Brazil is their first group game, as opposed to sort of, sort of the second or third. So he might, he might get more fitness. But no, I really think Jao playing just because I mainly think that you know, um, I think Portugal are going to have a really good tournament, and you know, if it's if it's not England, everyone everyone wants that Argentina Portugal final. Yeah. The one for me that I'm very interested to see is uh, Anthony Robinson for the US. Now, I don't think this is a stellar um, US side, but I do believe they've got more than enough to potentially get out the group. I think it's going to be between uh, the US and Wales to to get out the group. Um, and I think if, if US are to have a good tournament, I think Anthony Robinson's going to be one of the players at the heart of that. And uh, I think he could have uh, a big tournament. The thing for Jao for me is I don't know how much he's going to start. I agree that Portugal are looking good. Um, and yeah, beyond that, I mean, Mitrovic is the interesting one, really. I disagree, Drew. I just think that Mitrovic has a tendency just to shine for for Serbia. I think that a lot has been made of these injuries that he's got. You know, he's been playing for us since and scored three goals since he picked up that injury. He can't be that. He also got injured in Tasha break and then just scored the next go. Yeah. <laughs> So and and, and the Serb- Serbia's team is sort of it's made to, to a bit like Fulham. It's made to suit Mitrovic, and that's why he's that's why he's their all time top goal scorer. And if he, I said if he's fit, you know he's got, got I know he's got a tough game, tough first game against Brazil. But I mean I'm I'm pretty I would love to see him pocket Thiago Silva live in Doha. Thank you very much. That'd be <laughs> that'd be nice. And then obviously he's got games against Switzerland and Cameroon. Uh, I think I think Cameroon's their second group game. So yeah, I, I mean he's he's got he's got chances, and hopefully he's he's he's, he's full fitness ahead of that um, Brazil Serbia game really. Yeah. Well, we will see. Uh, the world Which I believe gets... is next Thursday night. Yes. Thanksgiving. A Thanksgiving treat for all our uh, listeners in the States. Uh, Brazil versus Serbia. And hopefully Alexander Mitrovic can do the business. So uh, that is it for today's podcast. All we need to do is name it. So Drew, what would you like to go with? Uh, my favourite was uh, Best uh, Best We Forget, which I think is just so good. I, I made me chuckle, so I'm going to go with that one. Yeah. A nice little... Uh, uh, Remembrance Sunday uh, pun well observed yesterday as ever at uh, Fulham and uh, that'll do for the podcast today Drew Heatley thank you very much cheers Sammy Jack Kelly thank you very much thank you Sammy Don Betts maybe see you in Doha I don't know if I'm going there's a chance I'm going and if we go we're gonna try and get to that uh, Serbia Brazil game um, which would be fun lovely stuff mate yeah have a great if 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 i don't go though have a wonderful time and uh no doubt we'll uh, get some of dom's diaries uh things from you while i think I think, I think i think the sports bar and talks about want, want want dom's diaries so uh we'll, we'll do the, <laughs> we'll do the, we'll, we'll, we'll do the explicit version on fulhamish oh can't wait yes lovely uh okay so uh there will be a thursday club in the week uh, i believe george coop is going to be hosting with jack and peter a kind of uh, roundup of this half ish of the season and then yeah the world cup shows start after that uh which is uh hugely exciting i want to send uh, some commiserations to the full women before we end by the way uh went out of the fa cup to watford yesterday uh, it was by uh quite a big scoreline 7-1 but uh i think the match was 
comes a bit closer than the scoreline suggests and uh, they're a very, very good team, quite high up the echelon. So uh, I'm uh, unlucky to the Fulham SC women. Of course, they've got their big game next Sunday at Craven Cottage. Still tickets available for that one. I'm sure they'd love to see uh, as many people down there as possible as they play AFC Wimbledon. Uh, but until the Thursday Club, have a lovely start of your week. And come on, you whites. <laughs>